good morning, everyone, or good evening, or good afternoon, depending upon where you are on this rotating globe. Welcome to another edition of The Other Side of Midnight, that magical time between dusk and dawn, when on this show, just about anything can happen. Um, if you listen to last night's show, which we did uh, three hours on the developing extraordinary mysteries of Didymos, Remember the asteroid, the primary asteroid around which little one-fifth scale Dimorphos is orbiting or was orbiting every 11 hours and 55 minutes? Well, we spent three hours last night talking about NASA's DART mission, the uh, direct uh, asteroid uh, uh, redirection test. Uh, that's the acronym DART, which uh, was culminated with an impact of the main spacecraft on the evening east coast time of this of december yeah really september 26 2022 just a couple weeks ago and then all hell broke loose and so we spent three hours discussing a really remarkable set of unusual uh new information and events and coming attractions around didymos um, I'll get to that in more detail in a minute but I wanted to point your attention to item number one um, for some reason, my website tonight, the Enterprise, I mean, Enterprise, the other side of Midnight website is not updating because uh, there's supposed to be two stories up there that are not up there. Remember how last night toward the end of the show, Robert Morningstar said that uh, both President Putin and President Zelensky were going to be showing up for the uh, uh, G20 summit, which this year in November, God, everything this year is happening in November. Uh, is going to be held in Indonesia, in Bali. Well, I called Robert this afternoon and I uh, asked him for a link, which he gave me. It's an actual story on RT. Um, and Keith put it up, but I'm not seeing it on the website. And I'm also not seeing the second link, which is supposed to be a direct link to NASA. So there's something going on with our website. <laughs> Which, of course, is un not unexpected because people diddle with this show all the time. I mean, really, statistically, look at all the bizarre things that happened around this uh, this show. Anyway, so uh, when we get it fixed, if we can get it fixed, item number one tonight in Radio with Pictures, which remember, if you're new to the show, the way you get to these items, and you're going to want to definitely get to the items when we get to our guests, is you go to the other side of midnight.com which is a very remarkable banner, which was created by my primary guest tonight, John Womack, called Queen Hera of Park Avenue. And in case you're wondering how uh, ancient Greek mythology mixes with modern New York real estate, just kind of hold on. All will become clear, okay? So you click on that, which says Womack, Lambert, Wheatley, and Morgan at the bottom. That takes you to the guest page, and right under that banner on the, at the top of the guest page, you will see where it says fast links to items. You click on my name and it will take you to my section of Radio with Pictures, which I am refreshing again. Oh, there we are. Okay. Um, yeah, item number two should now take me, take us to the NASA headquarters link about the Didymos uh, press conference. But item number one is the is the right link. It is uh, RT, which is Russian television. Apparently, 
according to RT, which learned this from an ambassador of the Indonesian government, next month in November, both presidents involved in this insane war, Zelensky and Putin, are going to be at the same conference physically, not virtually. They'll be there physically. And what the ambassador said to RT is that the Indonesian government, which, of course, is hosting the G20 this year, is putting them at separate hotels, which I thought was kind of interesting. Um, anyway, that solidifies that this is a real sourced story. Remember, these days, you can't tell real news from fake news unless you track back to primary sources. So the primary source for this is the Indonesian, uh, an Indonesian official. We don't know whether it's the ambassador to uh, Moscow or not. As reported by official Russian television, RT, and there, there it is. So now, if they both show up, that would be a very opportune time to have a quiet off the books, no cameras, no reporters, no news at all, background discussion between these two guys about how to end this damn war. And that, of course, would be an extraordinarily positive development. So uh, keep your fingers crossed. Okay, let me refresh one more time and see if Keith has been able to fix link number two. Uh, no, it still only goes to the picture. Uh, link number two should actually take you to the actual NASA headquarters press release, which was issued yes yesterday, Friday, which notifies everyone of a very important NASA press conference that's going to be held. You're going to want to write this down in case we can't get the website fixed. Uh, 2 p.m. on Tuesday afternoon, Eastern uh, Daylight Time in the United States. That's the first time since impact that a large number of important people, both from NASA headquarters, I think the president of the Italian space agency and a bunch of scientists are all going to show up uh, on NASA television or on YouTube, the NASA channel, or if you log on to nasa.gov, it'll be there too. At 2 p.m. on Tuesday, they will hold a press conference telling us what they have learned in the two weeks plus one day since the impact of the uh, dark uh, spacecraft into Dimorphos, the little 600-foot-wide guy orbiting the half-mile-wide uh, larger object called Didymos. Now, just before we went on the air tonight, I put out a call to my kind of loosely organized independent citizen scientist amateur astronomer network that I put together with the help of a good friend of mine in the community over the last two weeks. And I put out a general question and I said, have any of you guys, because they're all busily measuring uh, Didymos, you can't see Dimorphos from the Earth in, uh, you know, amateur sized telescopes, but they've been easily able to measure the photometry of Didymos. And Didymos before impact did two things. It had a rotation brightening darkening every two hours, roughly 20 minutes. I know some of you were thinking, is it 2.19.5? I don't know. I didn't do the measurement. It's listed as 2.26 minutes, two hours, 0.26 minutes. So you can do the math. Um, that was before impact. Now, superimposed on that two hour and uh, a third rotation rate of Didymos 
was the 11-hour, 55-minute orbit of Dimorphos, the little satellite, around Didymos every 11 hours, 55 minutes. Those two light curves were first disentangled in 2003 when the presence, because of these eclipses uh, of, of Dimorphos by Didymos, showed up on an amateur astronomer's uh, photometric traces. And since then, astronomers, both professional and amateur all over the world, have been measuring these two periods of the Didymo system. Now, what makes this really interesting is that of all the asteroids, and there's something like 40, 50,000 that are now being tracked at one level or, or another by both professionals and amateurs, 50,000 asteroids. And the relatively much smaller number that come closest to the Earth so they can be seen by amateur telescopes, because these things are really dim because they're small. You know, they're miles or, in the case of Dimorphos, hundreds of feet in diameter. And they're dark. They're very black. They're like carbon black. So they don't reflect much sunlight. So they're really dim. So you need really good equipment to pick them up and record their brightness changes faithfully. Um, there's been enormous numbers of light curves accumulated on this object since 2003. So we really know the period of rotation of Didymos, uh, two and a third hours, and we know the orbital period of Dimorphos, 11 hours, 55 minutes, with extraordinary clock-like precision. So what I tasked my guys to do, and they were, of course, eager to do because everybody wants to know the answer is, well, after this extraordinary, huge, incredibly amazing impact on uh, Monday night, the 26th, has anybody picked up the light curves of either the spin of Didymos or the orbit eclipses of Dimorphos? And I got back just before airtime an answer. And the answer is no, which is really important. Because if you look at the amount of material coming off the system after impact, it looked to me qualitatively like the energy expended and maybe the energy triggered, apropos of last night's discussion, not only totally destroyed Dimorphos, reducing it to basically a cloud of rubble or much smaller material like dust, micron-sized dust, millionth of a meter-sized dust, which is blowing around under, under solar radiation pressure, but because of secondary effects, the shock wave from the destruction of Dimorphos just crossing the half mile separating it from Didymos, a good portion of Didymos could also have been destroyed or knocked off or obliterated or blasted away in excess of the escape velocity of the uh, two-body orbiting system. In which case, that would account very nicely for the extraordinary brightening of dust that we have seen in the last two weeks from the Didymo system. And now we've got it correctly labeled. There, that link takes you to the NASA press conference on Tuesday, uh, item number two. And what I chose for the linking image is a amateur astronomer's uh, 0.6 meter telescope, that's the size of the mirror, in Chile. Uh, 0.6 meter, remember, a meter is about three feet. So it's, it's maybe a two foot meter, a uh, two foot wide uh, mirror reflecting telescope. He's taken a stunning, you know, set of images there 
the uh, the top one is the raw image. The bottom one I brightened. Notice apropos last night's discussion of what we're seeing around the Didymus location. Now keep in mind that jet going off to the upper left is thousands of miles long. Really, only in the last two weeks. Solar radiation pressure has pushed the dust far away from the little Didymo system, which on this scale would be like a pixel. And furthermore, it's filled a geometric form in three dimensions around where Didymos used to be, um, which has this extraordinary 3D shape of a tetrahedron, which is the first object that manifests from higher dimensions into three-dimensional reality in terms of uh, hyperdimensional geometry and hyperdimensional uh, mathematics. So, something is causing this dust being emitted from the entire system, probably the inadvertent destruction of Dimorphos and Didymos, into a tetrahedron made of tiny micron-sized dust. And you're looking down on it at about a 30-degree angle. Now, given that the orbit plane of Dimorphos around Didymos was exactly like edge-on, like you held up a CD and put it like edge-on in, in, on this photograph, that would mean to me, given that these geometries, according to the experiments of uh, Bruce De Palma, are dependent on a quantity called angular momentum, that not only did the impact destroy Dimorphos, but it probably tilted the rotational plane of the remaining material at a very steep angle to the ecliptic plane of the Earth and to the line of sight. So they really did a number on this object, and it's going to be extraordinarily interesting as to what really happened and B, is NASA going to tell us the truth? Or are they going to make like, oh, everything is fine, nothing's wrong, nothing to see here, move along, move along. It was incredibly successful, and we'll have specific data for you later. And of course, later will never come, and they'll be hoping that people's interest in this incredibly news-filled environment these days will be distracted by 15 other world-shaking events up to and including, you know, the prospect of nuclear Armageddon. And no one will give a damn as to what happened to Didymos and the people who do will have no political power and it will all just kind of fade away into the background, which is why we're scheduling on Saturday next, uh, which is, you know, uh, six days from tonight, our part two of our Didymos program, where we'll bring you what NASA said, and more important, we will hopefully bring you more ground-based observations, which can confirm with good, hard, empirical science whether NASA really blew the entire system away. Now, why should we care about any of this in terms of tonight's show? Because they are, in fact, directly connected. Last night, we proposed that a long, long time ago, in a solar system not that far away, namely our own, somebody set up the Didymos and Dimorphos system as a binary, specifically as a time capsule for a future generation of developing technological humans here on Earth, 
millions of years ago, and NASA went out and with its experiment, apparently destroyed the time capsule. Why is that relevant? Because if you look at item number three, this is something that occurred here on Earth just a couple years ago. Um, helicopter pilots working for the uh, 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 service, uh, uh, animal service management or environmental, I forget what the agency was of the state of Colorado, flying over a remote location of the canyon lands of Utah, spotted a bizarre aluminum three-sided equilateral triangle, anybody? two-dimensional version of a three-dimensional tetrahedron sitting in the middle of a little canyon in southeast Utah. They landed, and if you go into that story, that's from the local ABC affiliate uh, uh, two years, I'm sorry, one, one, one year later. Um, they have a kind of an update as to what's happened. And we still don't know who set up the tetrahedron slash monolith. We do know who went in and destroyed it, took it down. And so the whole thing kind of introduced me to the idea that maybe Utah, maybe these stunning canyon lands could be a terrestrial version of an ancient civilization or multiple terrestrial civilization time capsules. And many years ago, I'm hoping he will remember when, uh, our own Keith Morgan, who's part of the show tonight, went to Utah went to a place called Arches National Park and took a bunch of photographs. And when he looked at them, he was struck years and years and years ago by the fact that the objects, the morphologies, the geoglyphs, the shapes, the forms that he was seeing just didn't look quite natural. But in fact, they appear to have been made by some extraordinarily ancient, because of all the erosion, a human civilization here on Earth, one of the precursor civilizations that historians and academicians and others keep constantly denying, you know, claiming we're the first high-tech civilization that Earth has ever produced. Not. So tonight what we're going to do is we're going to delve into the lore and history and possible discoveries to be made in the canyon lands of the great American Southwest with several interesting guests. As I said, Keith is going to talk first and uh, tell us about when he took the pictures and why he was there and, you know, if he can actually look at a date and say when, you know, he first noticed. Because it was Keith who, independent of me looking at that photo, which is item number three, said, good grief. In that little canyon around this monolith, there's all kinds of faces. There's glyphs. There's representations of recognizable forms, like someone was leaving some kind of mural history of some kind of totally lost history to current human ken. So without further ado, I want to introduce on air Keith Morgan, who, as you know, used to work for Ted Koppel for decades and who was we're incredibly lucky to have him as our able AI and web person. Keith, where were you? When were you in Colorado? And when did you first realize that what you were looking at might not be natural? Uh, I was visiting my son in Utah when the 
Federal Department of Transportation had him space uh, stationed there for like three years. And that was uh, in uh, August uh, 2014. Oh, okay. So it's relatively recent. Yeah. And um, we drove down to Arches Park because he was up more or less by uh, Salt Lake, Utah. Um, now, wait, where is Arches Park relative to, let's say, like Denver? Uh, it's really far south of um, Salt Lake. Uh, it took us, uh, I think, a couple hours or something to get there. Oh, so it's in the southeast corner. Yeah. So mm-hmm. we we went down to that area. I'd never been there before. I didn't even know much about it. And we started looking at a lot of the stuff that they were pointing out that, hey, this is just a natural formation. It's the balanced rock. This is the... Uh, the castle. It looks like a castle out there in the distance, and so on. And and as I'm driving um, or driving around the area, I'm noticing stuff that just doesn't look like it's natural. I'm like, that looks like two statues back to back. It looks like Anubis sticking out one side, and and some other thing with a headdress on facing the opposite, and then I start seeing stuff etched into the walls and I'm going, that looks like, it looks like a tall Native American. He's looking over his left shoulder. You got the neck, the shoulders, the, the torso. And I took pictures of it. And the one that really got my attention was my wife was walking in front of me. I'm looking up on top of this butte. And here's what looks like a bust of Nefertiti with the Egyptian headdress on out the back. This thing is precariously balanced on this thin neck. Oh, that, that's your image 2A. Yeah, that's the 2A. God, it really um, does look like Nefertiti. And Co- complete I'm, with the Royal Egyptian crown. Yeah, and I'm, I'm blown away. Uh, we're looking at, if we look at 2A, the exploded view, all I did was take Microsoft's uh, 3D paint and I made a rectangle around these objects that I was interested in. And it extruded them to look like that, okay? I didn't trace around them or anything. I just said, made a rectangle around it, and it extruded it, and that's the way they look. And next to her was this pedestal that had this little stub on the end, like there was a head or something on that, and it had corners and edges. And I said, that doesn't look natural. And I took that one wide shot. And then years later, when I was setting up uh, a show for the other uh, for the other side of midnight, and I was putting my pictures together, and I was noticing that down below, one level below that was this other structure, and I couldn't tell if it was a pillar or not because of the angle that I shot it at. But then later, I found a second picture where I was actually standing closer underneath of it, looking up at it. And it was not connected to the back wall, which first I thought it was when I came back across this. Then I showed it to Jonathan Womack, who's our guest tonight. And he looks at it. And then he sees on the wall to the right of it what looks like this bird's head etched into the wall. It's got the eye. It's got the beak. It's got the neck. I'm looking at this going there's no way you can have four out-of-place artifacts in one photograph in this one general area like that and say this is all natural. 
And then when I really got a good look at the the pedestal that the the uh, vertical column was sitting on and got a good look at that, it looks like the balanced rock that is there in Utah in the Arches Park. Uh, but that's much bigger. But it looks like a fish head entity. Like it, it's got an eye, it's got a mouth, it's got, it looks like it's wearing some kind of helmet or something. And this looks similar to it, slightly different, but very similar to what that looks like. And I'm going, how can you get two different objects in the same general area looking almost identical? And the one in this picture is sitting on its own little pedestal, hmm. perfectly sitting on this pedestal. And I'm saying, this is not natural. This is, you can't, you can't dismiss this as natural. How do you get something, these objects sculptured this way with wind? There's no water. If there was water, then how did he sculpt these things so perfectly? And the one with the bust of Nefertiti, it looks like, based on how that is precariously balanced, the wind should have broken it off or something long time ago, just like the balanced rock. It's huge, but it's sitting perfectly balanced on his little skinny neck. On the, and I'm going, that should have, should have been taken out by wind or hurricane or some kind of force that would have knocked it over a long time ago, but nope and it's weathered the time when i started looking at the rest of this area and i showed it to you know jonathan womack i started noticing other things when it came down to the monolith if we go back up to 1a or uh, 1b the 1b there was this area at the monolith that had artwork on the walls it had a little artwork, 3D artwork of an owl sitting up on a ledge. It had uh, other artwork down at the bottom of looks like a in, uh, an Asian lady. And then to the left of her, it looks like somebody with a hooded robe over their head. And I'm going, am I reading stuff into this? And then the stuff next to it, above that, it looks like there's paint coming down the sides. And I keep looking at it and I said, is this someone's hair that's coming down the side or what? But then there's there's also what looks like a caterpillar with long antenna sticking out of it. And I'm saying, I, I can't be reading all this into that. But it was the it was the main stuff. And the reason I'm I've got one A and one B is because I came across one A the other day when I was looking for something. And this guy named Barry Goldberg, if that's his name, um, he he was trying to demonstrate how you know, you're in a dark cave, you can't see anything, but you turn the flashlight on and the rock reflects the light. Because people were talking about why is the moon reflecting light if it's a rock? And well, mm -hmm. didn't make any sense, mm. but this is the logic. Anyway, on that wall, if you click on that link and you zoom in on that picture, you will see this artwork on the wall. It looks like a book with a picture of a person on it that's got a collar and shoulders. Oh, there's a definite uh, uh, rectangular geometry, yeah, on the left. Yeah, yeah. 
And it looks like I'm, a figure with some kind of crown in the middle of the of the book. Actually, there's more than one figure. Yeah, and, and it looks like there's another figure that's holding the book up in some kind of almost like Atlas or something. I don't mm -hmm. know if that's real or just artifacting. But looks like it's a symmetrical collar. Yeah, the main figure. Wow. Yeah. And then in in one B. The the Asian lady down at the bottom, which I have annotated, that kind of reminds me of the artwork that we're seeing in 1A. And I said, this is another coincidence again. I want to know where Barry took the picture at because he didn't say. Uh -huh. And if it's in Utah. Well, is he trying to protect the site? Because, you know, if you make these things public, uh, yeah. there's many times when people will just uh, go and destroy you know, it's just, you know, humans can yeah. be very weird. Right. So, but then <clears throat> with the monolith, we'll go down to 3A. Oh, we're, we're coming up on a break. Yeah, so yeah, we're very much at the bottom. In fact, we should probably, yeah, we should actually probably stop right now. My first guest this morning is our own Keith Morgan, and we're talking about, uh, well, we're talking about a bunch of stuff, but this is actually someone a long time ago did something to leave a message. A message to, to whom? Well, whoever would come after. And who's that? It's us. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. You're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. We shall return. everyone on this Sunday night, October 9th, 2022, just weeks away from the Halloween revelations of the first official U.S. government congressionally mandated official report on UFOs. 
Of course, they call them something else now. They call them UAPs. But God, what's going to be in this report? Halloween. Can you say War of the Worlds? Okay, tonight we're talking about something very distant from war. We're talking about time capsules. So Keith Morgan was in Utah in the fall of, well, late summer of 2014, visiting his son. And he and his wife, Audrey, took a trip down to the Arches National Park, which was a really good idea because it's incredibly spectacular. And he's wandering around with a camera. And remember, he's, you know, television, eye for things and all that. And he's looking at this stuff and he says, wait a minute, that doesn't look natural. So pick it up from there. Keith? Unmuting helps. Sorry about that, I was <laughs> muted. Okay, go uh, for it. Yeah, when I first saw those, the. The two objects on top of the butte, I said, this does not look natural. And as we went around the area, there were other objects that just did not look natural. I saw, a, I finally saw where the, the main arch that a lot of, a lot of their calendars and stuff have on it. And I'm looking at it from a distance. It is up on top of this mesa. But what's it? are all these dome-shaped objects. And I'm going, how did they get on the top of the mesa and get the shapes that they got? It doesn't, it didn't fit. I don't even think that that arch is a, a natural formation. I think it was artificially created because on top of it is this disc that is sitting perpendicular to the uh, on, it's almost like precariously balanced on top of this arch and it's a disc and I'm going it does not fit the ob the idea of this being natural but I want to I want to get to the the monolith in in Utah when the pictures first started coming out and people started flocking into the area and I'm watching the pictures come out of the area I'm looking at the, the main one, 3A, and I'm going, and nobody sees the freaking boomer head sticking out the wall <laughs> on the left side. And I'm like, I mean, that's obvious. That is so obvious. And then I kept looking to the right, and I'm seeing something on the right side of it that's got like this nice, clean S-curve. And I'm going, what the heck am I looking at? But I couldn't figure out what it was. But when I get to 3C, I'll tell you what it was. And then we get 3B. And B3B is from Mars. Good old Perseverance that, rover, yep. Yeah, and in that picture is what they call the balanced rock. It's sitting on this sloping pedestal. It should have rolled off or something like that, but it's been sitting there for whatever. And then down below it, it looks like the head of Optimus Prime. It, it's a <laughs> transformer. Anyway, but then I'm looking at what's on the wall to the right of it, and I'm going, nobody sees the snake head sticking out the wall? Or a big crocodile. To well, me, actually, it looks more I, like a crocodile. Well, when I actually got to look at it closer and better, it's the head of a badger. 
And not only is the really? head there, yeah, it's, it's not only the head of the, the badger, but the arm or claw or paw of the badger is sticking out I below wondered that what a badger was. Thing. So you need to replace the G with the D in the caption. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I, okay. Sorry. <laughs> no problem. So the, the, you know, the, the slope, the slope on the nose of the badger, all of it's there. I thought it was a snake. And somebody actually wrote an article about, you know, what about the snakehead sticking out the, you know, the, the, the wall there. But what is behind that to the right is a much bigger structure. Yep. And it's a it's a huge sculpture of a Gila monster. Mm. I mean, it. I'm going and, and you got the arm and everything right there. And I'm going, nobody sees this stuff. People look, but they don't see and that's what drives me crazy. Oh, you're just reading stuff into it. You can't read those many things into these areas. Now, when we get to 3C, these guys from the... The Park Service, I think they park were. Park Service, yeah. yeah. They took pictures looking down into this little valley area. And now I can see that wall on the, the right side. And it's a freaking cat head. It's a kitty. It's a big going, kitty. Nobody sees this. No. And then when the idiots came and tore down, <laughs> tore down the the uh, monolith, then someone took a picture looking straight at the the puma head. I'm calling it a puma head. You said it looks like a dinosaur. So did my wife, but it's, it's a puma head to me. But in the right, there's an outcove on the right side of the puma head, and in there is a etching or sculpture of an eagle and you can see the the talons the the wings and it's in that little outcove and i'm going okay here we go we got a cat we got a puma we got an eagle and up above the eagle is what looks like a panda or something and i'm going there's too many things grouped together well here. yeah you have all these familiar animals etched supposedly by random erosion in one little canyon that for God's sake somebody decided to put a huge three-dimensional version of a tetrahedron as a column as a monolith to mark something important about this site yeah um so 3d is showing the picture that the park service took looking down into from the up above the 3E is the Park Service down at you know, at the level looking from a different angle. Right. With now a much better camera. See, yeah, but now you can see on the right side, you can see what makes cat. up the face of the cat. But then if you look to the left where the, the two guys are walking and one guy is closest to this boulder sitting out there, and I've got other pictures of the boulder at a different angle – it does not belong there. It looks like a monkey face, a huge monkey face, like it was a, a head of something. Uh, that well, it also looks artificial. It's got geometry. It looks like it was a cut stone that someone yeah. then carved an effigy on the front facing the guy in the green uh, uh, park uniform. Right. And it also has, it looks like, uh, some kind of headdress on or something is the way it's the, the back curves perfect is perfect curvature on the back and I'm going the, you know these things can't be all natural 
Now, <clears throat> I'm I'm rushing through this because Jonathan's got some great stuff. And and when we got started on this, and I I pointed all the stuff out to him, he flew, and he started getting stuff off of Google Earth and other places and other pictures from other people, and and he put all the pieces together. And he's got enough to tell you about the alignments, the solstice alignments and the sunrises and so forth that align the way these things are laid out. Because this is ancient, ancient artwork and and construction in this area. In, it's a in time Utah. capsule or, frankly, probably a series of time capsules. You know, no single point failure. So. Okay. So. Uh, I want to get John on and start doing his thing because he's got some really interesting stuff. And if you click on uh, Fast Items Jonathan, it'll take you to the page that I put all his stuff on. And then you can watch this, um, watch him go through all of his stuff. But it's what he's found. He brought me to tears when he he did the animation when I told him that that pillar behind the balanced rock looked like there's an elephant in there. And he did an animation with the an elephant that was actually moving, and he zoomed in, in, into it and kind of overlaid it over top of it, and it brought me to tears. I was like, this is exactly what we're looking at here. And he, and he's flown. He's, he's come up with so much stuff now. It is... I don't see how anybody could look at this evidence and go, this is just natural. Well, we've got to get... Uh, 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 what's his name? Steve Walter to take this seriously. So we probably need a conference call, John. And let me yes. let me formally introduce you, okay? Cuz we've had okay. uh, we have Steve on the show uh, a couple of times and you know, I got him kind of intrigued with the monolith in Utah Canyon, but he's inundated, so his attention Scott. I mean, Scott Walter. Scott. I'm sorry. What did I say? Stephen? Yeah. Scott. Uh, so his attention wandered, and we've got to get it focused back on this, because unless someone with the right reputation begins to do serious science, none of the other stuff that you guys are doing is going to be, you know, taken seriously, and it, 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 it's, it's, over, it's long overdue. So let me give a kind of a formal introduce, introduction. Jonathan Womack. Um, among his many notables, and you can go to the other side of Midnight and click on bios and it'll take you to John's bio and to Keith's bio and to George's bio. And we're hoping that we might have a little uh, look in by Maria Wheatley tonight. She's in England and she's been uh, kind of jet lagged, uh, having been away on travel. So we may or may not have her tonight, but we'll have her uh, on this for a future show. Getting back to John. John uh, is an experiencer uh, directly with out-of-body experiences, and that's we've done a couple of shows uh, profiling those. He's also a generalist, like our friend Ron Gerbron. He is a um, uh, exquisitely uh, talented 3D computer CGI person, an expert. He uh, hosts a, a website. He actually has a podcast, um, which uh, we'll talk about a bit. And um, he has been very interested in in uh, terrestrial ancient archaeology because he, like all the rest of us gathered here, do not believe that 20th century or 21st century human civilization is the epitome of human progress. But in fact, we're coming up the curve of folks that were here before us and left really extraordinary stuff. So, John, why don't you pick it up there? 
actually talk about how your interest segued from Keith's direct experience and where we are tonight, because you've come a long, long way, baby. Yes, Richard, this has brought me full cycle because when I was nine years old, I lived in Indiana and my family took a trip. Our neighbors had moved out to Colorado to a miles outside of a, a town called Elbert, 180 people, just a little, you know, Oh, my God. One. Yeah. <laughs> if, you, if you blink on the highway, you miss it. So we go out to visit them, and they have this ranch. It was so awesome. I loved it, and I went out of body, and I'm flying around the mountains, and I notice what looks like monuments, murals, you know, the whole thing. And, you know, that was 50-some years ago. Now, wait, you're, you're, you're nine, right? I'm nine years old, and another cool Had thing Had anybody is, ever talked to you about ancient monuments in Utah? No, this was in the 1960s, so all this, um, this was before Eric Von Daniken, this was before any of this stuff. And another cool thing is we, we took a jeep ride through Cripple Creek Mines, and the and the um, the catalog or the you know they give you the guidebook. It has uh, we're we're riding up this Womack Hill, and we're we're telling the guide driving the jeep. Yeah, that's our name, Womack. And you look on the page, and it's the it's Robert Womack with the handlebar mustache. So my brother Bob's like, hey, that's me. And indeed, he ended up moving out there. Um, to Colorado, and I've had two other brothers followed him out there. So we have some kind of tie. And then when I found this, um, you know, this Anunnaki stuff, I felt like I know this place. I know this place. I've been here. I know this place. Hmm. Okay, so let's start with item number one. Uh, and, and for everybody who needs to know how to get there, you go to the other side of midnight.com. You click on tonight's banner, which is uh, Queen Hera. Uh, that will take you to the guest page. Under the banner on the guest page, you see fast links to items. Keith has prepared a entire soul page because Jonathan has a lot of images. Click on that. That will take you to his guest page. The first one says Courthouse Tower, Archers National Park. Take it away. Yeah, these images are highlights from a webinar I have coming up on November 3rd. You can get tickets at jonathanwomack.com. They're $7.50. Um, I'll be going into detail. Uh, I'll be doing a series, one on Park Ave, one on the Balanced Rock Complex, another on Delicate Arch. I've been studying these places for the last year and a month. Uh, you know, since Keith showed those, it was August of last year when Keith showed those photos and I just went, you know, my mouth fell open and I'm seeing all this stuff leap out at me. I'm like, oh my God, I have to stop what I'm doing. My whole life is like coming to it. This is a change. So it was a huge, it was a big deal. And um, so number one there, you see uh, the courthouse tower. And I put a little red triangle there because we're going to be looking at courthouse tower that when you see these triangular slits in the rocks it's a sure sign that that is an alignment it's so a, these are kind of like rifle sites that someone has carved into the bedrock yes and but you know behind you see the tower of babel this is the name it's funny some of the names that the rangers come up with because 
I just find it interesting because when you find out what you're really looking at, you're like, oh, that's funny. So anyway, the, the Tower of Babel there, these two structures mark this grand avenue that is coming down here and it leads to these this monument of these three kings. And then you can either take a right and go to the, I'm calling it the Grand Gallery, or you can take a left and walk down Park Ave. So Now, um, now were these I, names given by the park rangers? Uh, yes, Courthouse uh, and Tower of Babel, that's by the um, the Rangers, yeah. Huh. I wonder so, why they, they attach those names. So number two, um, there's a few images here from the movie Oblivion uh, with Tom Cruise. I'm not giving away any spoilers, but this is after a, a war with aliens. This is years, you know, this is in the future. And he lives in this cloud apartment up in the clouds, and he's like a maintenance guy. And they send him down to check stuff here and there. And um, nobody really lives on Earth, but... Um, so he's found a couple places that he likes. One is um, the New York li Library, and in item four, you can see the top of that. And the ground, you notice, is at the top of the library, and that's what Arches Park is. They say how all these monuments came to be is that the ground used to be at the top of these monuments back when the dinosaurs were here, and then over time, it eroded away from wind and rain, and it left all these monuments. And I know for a fact that's a bunch of hogwash. And, it, you know, it makes me sick that this we have this travesty that these Anunnaki left us this legacy for us to find and decode and come, you know, and come reunion with them. And so anyway, uh, so Oblivion, you have, you know, the grounds way up to the top of the and Tom Cruise, he finds books and, you know, he goes to the state Yankee Stadium. You know, he's read about baseball. And so he's got these favorite places. And of course, then in five and six is the uh, Empire State Building. And then number seven, you have the, the bridge there. The gold, uh, the, uh, the, the probably George Washington. George Washington, I would think, yeah. Yeah, yeah it looks like so it. So 7A is just, you, you can find many So maps. these are, in, uh, this actually is a very good movie. It, uh, Rob and I saw yeah. it a long time ago. Um, yeah. What's interesting is that it depicts accurately ancient technology that's been buried and thereby preserved that has been relatively recently eroded, exposed to where it's recognizable as ancient architecture and technology. Yes. Yep. Very apropos. So in 7A, it's just a map. I mean, in 7A, this map doesn't even have uh, arches is on the top edge just out of the picture. It's next to Canyonlands. But it just shows all these other parks, you know, way down to the left corner in Sedona. That's all Anunnaki uh, monuments. You, all these places, Monument Valley, I am going to do a, a ridiculous, oh my gosh, <laughs> I, I spent some time there and it's, it's you know, it hey, just Jonathan, blows, it blows yeah, your mind, yeah? Yeah, can I, I make a, a comment about number two? Because yeah, remember I said I was looking at it. Let me go back I, to number two. It looks like a crater. And I was going to put a comment in there because I thought that it was a, it was some area that I didn't know about. And I was going to no, put it. it's, a, it's a, the movie. It's the movie. Yeah, I looked at it and I thought, <laughs> "Holy cow, John! What have you found?" And yeah, because it had a lot of geometry and structure. <laughs> yeah, yep, I'm yep. going. 
You have to zoom in to see it, though. Well, this is a complete diversion, except it's not. You remember that photograph, John and Keith, taken by the Gemini astronauts way back in the Gemini program when they were just experimenting around with taking a, a, a color camera and some Kodak film and taking photographs of the Earth from orbit? I mean, that seems so obvious now. Back then, it was like a big deal. It's like they didn't know whether they'd even come out, whether they'd see anything. It was all very experimental. And the guys literally, I mean, John Glenn went out for his mission on, on, on Mercury. He went to a, to dime, a drug store and bought an off-the-shelf little throwaway camera to take pictures in space because NASA had no idea that pictures would be important. It's really bizarre. Anyway, from the Gemini program, they looked down in Africa and they saw this huge circular tiered what they call the Rickart structure and it's been a mystery for decades and decades and decades frankly uh, Ruggiero and I have been doing some quiet work and he probably will talk about it some night I think this is Atlantis it's got all the geometry of ancient Plato's description of Atlantis and it has all the geometry that you see in your number two, John, except it's for real, not part of a movie on a huge scale. Yeah, exactly. So and the Earth seems to be littered with ancient evidence that we are not the first. And it's being yeah. rigorously denied by everybody who can deny it. Because remember, we're in prison. We're not supposed to know we're not the first. Yeah, this is all over the Earth. Now, not the arches, though. This is a unique, unique place on the Earth. There's no other place like Arches Park with all these. There's 2,500 arches. It's on the most stable plateau on Earth, the Colorado Plateau. There's no earthquakes. It's in a dry region. So uh, you get these monsoons, but it's very dry and arid. They wanted this place to last a very long time so that we would find it and decode it and and then come ring on their doorbell. So um, item number eight is just uh, looking down from Google Earth. Anybody listening can download Google Earth Pro for free and um, open it up and you can follow us along if you like and look around yourself. I encourage everybody to go there. Oh, I was hoping you would do this because I love maps. It orients you. So, Yeah, and uh, anybody can do this. I hope people will be inspired to look at these places from from my work and then hopefully expand on it um now number nine is just another overview we're going to be spending most of our time in the red circle which is park avenue and i put it you see a, a rectangular inset inside the red circle that's to point out the spot that this spot in all of planet earth even but in Arches Park, I mean, this is all over the American West, but this spot here in Park Ave is very key because if we wanted to code the technology behind the portals to, to go meet again with the Anunnaki, uh, we need a, a, a key code. We need to find, and this is where I found it. So, um, number 10 Number 10 is another overview. You can see Park Avenue there. Uh, a is what I'm calling the – at first I was calling it the Horus Mural um, because that big bird on it, like Keith said. This is where Keith saw this. He calls it the Nefertiti head. You know, it's not Nefertiti. 
it's more Hera, but yeah, it looks like Nefertiti. So the Nefertiti's there, and then behind it, like Keith said, I said, Keith, look at that mural. There's a, you know, the giant bird is horrible, and you got all this stuff. So I've been spending, like I said, the last year decoding all of this and um, made some astonishing discoveries. And so in A, we have the Hera mural, this cliff wall mural, and B is the key code. So those two points, and then C and D are showing you that they have these, they use these targeting sites. What they do. Over to D. Okay, there we are. It's like uh, this collector technology. I'm calling it light sonics. You have to call it something, but it's collecting and manipulating light and sound to do things for for them. The these Anunnaki. It's part of their technology. We don't have this. It's very advanced, but this is giving us insights into their technology. So C and D are these sites, like on a rifle, when you aim at something, and then up in the right corner you see. Uh, a green circle with E. That is the south window arch in the Balanced Rock Complex. There are seven arches right in there, the big arches. So this is a very complex arcology where there's some serious technology going on. But when the sun comes up, <clears throat> it shines through there, and it that blue, dark blue beam comes through the... B on in Arches Park, it's that wall is like a partition and it has all these kind of lenses and cutaways where the light is. So there's through. sight lines and there's holes cut yep. in the rock, so you look from one to the other and it focuses your attention on a narrow field of view that you're supposed to pay attention to. Exactly. And the blue beam is shining on And the, obviously the odds of this happening by chance and nature and erosion is is crapola. Yeah, it's astronomical. Um, so, uh, moving on, um, 11 is another view of Arches Park. We're looking yeah, over the top. Yeah, we basically have the... 30 seconds, so let's reach a stopping point oh. here, okay? Okay. So, my guest this morning is Jonathan Womack, and uh, Keith has been out here. He was alerted to the idea that these things are not exactly natural as far back as 2014. And uh, we're talking basically about ancient terrestrial time capsules left by maybe the same folks that left Didymos and Dimorphos as aligned time capsules across half the solar system. And NASA went out the other day and promptly destroyed them. You think they did it by design or was it just a really dumb, dumb accident? You're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. We shall return. Thanks for listening to this exciting first hour. Now, the second and third hour of the show is available to Club 19.5 members only. Please support the show by subscribing to Club 19.5 and join our very interesting community. To do that, please visit the website theothersideofmidnight.com and click on the Join Club 19.5 link in the left-hand column. As a Club 19.5 member, you'll gain access to the rest of this show and all previous 350-plus shows that we have done. Now, recent Club 19.5 member archive recording have the commercials removed and the sound quality has been enhanced. 
You'll also receive a dedicated private podcast feed that contains these enhanced show recordings. And you'll be able to download the MP3 files directly from the archive if you prefer. As a Club 19.5 member, you'll also be the first to preview our new videos and reports. We'll be adding exclusive new features to Club 19.5 as we go forward. And boy, have we got some amazing things to tell you about in the coming weeks. So please support the show and don't miss all the exciting new things we have planned. I want to thank all our Club 19.5 members because without your guys' support, this show would not be on the air. Please help us continue growing the show by subscribing to Club 19.5 today. And when I say we really need you, we really need you. Over and out. Mm-hmm.